You know how I love including songs and musical expressions in my messages from this pulpit. And it's a, it's a little game that you and I play, um, and it usually goes like this. I start the lyric, and I'm usually testing to see if you can finish it. Uh, I am hoping for that day when I completely stump everybody, and this may be the day. I have one for you this morning that comes from the 1960s. <laughs> Somebody said, got it, got it. <laughs> Let's see if anybody gets it. A horse is a horse, of course, of course. And no one can talk to a horse, of course. That is, of course, unless the horse is the famous... Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I thought I had it. What, has it been running in reruns or something? Okay. Folks, that's back when television was truly rich. Come on. Dennis the Menace... My Little Margie, Hazel, all that even predated Lucy and Andy Griffith. Yeah, well, I could not help but think, okay, take it off, it's, it's distracting me, thank you. <laughs> I think it's the hat. I couldn't help but think of that uh, crazy Mr. Ed with the talking horse when I was reading through our immersed Bible reading, Numbers chapter 22 this week. Now, Mr. Ed was a talking horse, which of course is theoretically an impossible idea, until you read Numbers chapter 22, where we actually see not a horse, but a, but a donkey actually talking to its owner, whose name is Balaam. So I'm going to preach this morning on the story that comes straight from our day 60 of our Immerse uh, Bible reading. If you're right with us and up to date, you're going to quickly recognize it because it's truly a, a standout story. It's the Old Testament story of a talking donkey, which is it's kind of fun, certainly interesting, but actually contains some truth for us today. So give me a minute here to, to set the story up for you. One of the challenges, certainly, and I think even the more so in, with Old Testament than New Testament, the Old Testament, you've got names that are unusual, and it's very easy to you know, get too many names and too many people and get all the characters in place. So there's just two. The problem is both of them have a name that starts with B, and they look a little bit alike. So I want to help you. The first one, Balaam, who was the owner of the, don of the donkey. Let me tell you who Balaam is. He's this local um, prophet, in quotes, from a place called Pethor, uh, albeit he's a, he's, he's a false prophet. He believed in the world of divination and, and sorcery and the occult. Now, granted, there are passages of, some passages of Scripture which could lead you to believe that he was a true prophet of God. You'll actually find, as in our passage, God, God speaks to him, but he, nothing could be further from the truth to believe that he's anything other than a false prophet. Regardless, in his day and time, he was one who was sought out as a spiritualist, and it was assumed that he had the power to curse or the power to bless. So that's Balaam. Say his name. The other guy I want you to know about is Balak. He's the king of the Moabites. See, the names are kind of close, but I want you to keep them straight here today. He's the king of the Moabites. Balak is all shook up in our text because the Israelites, the children of Israel, have invaded his land and he's 
overwhelmed by what a large number of them existed and how powerful they seemed to be. And it's easy to see that Balak was intimidated and terrified by the people of Israel. He was afraid because he had become aware that God had favored his people, the people of Israel, to destroy the king of Sihon, to destroy the king of Og. He, they routed out the Amorites. All this happened just before our text in a second. In this particular season of time, God had given the children of Israel victory after victory after victory. So it's not really any wonder that Balak and his Moabites, and uh, they were becoming fearful. So what happens is the Moabite uh, king Balak, he sends his messengers to the spiritual, spiritualist guy whose name is? I'm sorry? All right. He's, they, they, he, the king sends his, his guys to Balaam to give him the, the, the message that he wants him to come and curse the Israelites. Balaam's assumed to be a guy who has power over curses and blessings. And so King Balak says, let's go and get him to come and curse these Israelites because there's too many of them. They're going to overwhelm us and they're going to destroy this us like they've destroyed everybody else. He said, I'm afraid of them. I don't want them to destroy us. So since uh, 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 Balaam is some sort of a spiritual authority, just tell him to come and and put this curse on, on the Israelites. Well, Balaam actually does hear from the Lord, who tells him, don't you dare curse my chosen people. Don't you dare curse them. So Balaam tells Balak's messengers, he'd slept on it for a night, and he got up the next morning and he says, nope, I'm not doing it. I'm I'm not going with you. Y'all go on home. Uh, The Lord will not let me me go with you. So this first batch of messengers go back to, are you still with me? First batch of messengers go back to King Balak and tell him that Balaam would not come and curse the Israelites. So what's the king do? He finds some bigger, tougher dudes and guys a little more higher ranking uh, in his kingdom to go back to Balaam and try one more time to see if they can get him to cooperate. King Balak tells this group of messengers, just get Balaam and get him here. Whatever it takes, just bring him here, and I'm sure he can make this curse happen that we need to have happen. Okay, that's the background. There's more to the story, but in my effort to get to our text and the heart of this message, suffice it to say, this is when Balaam jumps on his donkey and starts on his journey because the second batch of messengers have convinced him he needs to go see King, King Balak and he needs to put this curse on the people of Israel. So our, we start where he jumps on his uh, donkey and starts on this journey back to King Balak. That's where we're going to pick it up. Now, I'm going to read most of it to you today. Again, it's a little more lengthy passage. Uh, your part will be in another color. I think it's orange. And I, it's, it's just coincidence that once again, I'm the good guy and you're the bad guy. Okay? <laughs> it just turned out that way. Uh, I have no idea. Stand and let's read the word of the Lord together. Everybody, balcony, main floor. <clears throat> you're going to read the part that's in another color. So the next morning... 
Balaam got up. Remember, he slept on it for the night. Got up, he saddled his donkey, and he started off with the Moabite officials. This is the second batch of messengers. But God was angry that Balaam was going. So he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. As Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road into a field. That's beating number one. Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the roads narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and crush Balaam's foot against the wall. That's beating number two. Then the angel of the Lord moved farther down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time when the donkey saw the angel, it laid down under Balaam. Beating number When the Lord gave the donkey, sorry, then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What have I done to you that deserves you beating me three times, it asked Balaam. Wait, wait, Balaam what? Okay, you better back up and do that again. You know what the script says. Okay, go. Yeah, but, but, but hang on. But I'm the same donkey you have ridden all your life, the donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this to you before? Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Why did you beat your donkey those three times, the angel of the Lord demanded. Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, here's what would have happened. I would certainly have killed you by now and spared the donkey. In other words, I would have killed you, Balaam, but spared the animal that you thought was so stupid. Now, here's what I want to do. You know what we do every time I have the last several months because I think it's so incredible. I have a verse from Isaiah I like to quote. I usually quote it. I want you to remind me this. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to point a finger at me like this. And I want you to read it. Put it up. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Lord, let us be true to that word today. Give wings to my words. And Holy Spirit, would you communicate something of an eternal nature in our hearts today for we say it in Jesus' name. And the people said, be seated, please. Title of the message today is, Don't Kick It. I've given you the context We've read the text, so let me start with a question that is important for you to answer within your own heart if you're going to apply 
this message to your life today, and I pray you are. Some will. Some will let it just go right over the head and go walk right out the door and make no application. But if you're going to try to apply this message today, I want you to answer within the confines of your own heart this. What kind of journey are you on? And the other question is, what, de- what, what destination are you trying to reach? Now, you may define your journey any number of ways. It could be the journey of your marriage. Maybe um, it's a journey of a business venture. Uh, could be your career. Maybe you're trying to climb the corporate ladder. Any, any number of ways. could be very much on a personal basis that you are on a journey. Whatever it is, whatever your journey, we quite often become very passionate about reaching a certain destination. And what we do simply by virtue of our, our own human nature is we formulate what the journey to that destination should look like. We, we decide, here's, here's how, where I'm going, here's how I'm going to get there, and here's what it should look like. So this, this picture, this vision, if you will, becomes set in our minds, and we develop a strong mindset, not only on the destination, but we also tend to solidify our mindset on the journey as well. And that's exactly where Balaam finds himself. It's exactly what happens. Balaam knows the destination he's to reach. He knows where Balak's place is. He's going to go to the Moab leaders, uh, back to his, his palace to curse the Israelites for him. He knows where he's going. He knows why he's going there. Balaam also, he, 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 knows, uh, he knows the area. He was raised in these parts, if you will. Therefore, he's confident that he knows the best path to reach that destination. And he's riding on an animal that should be subservient to him since he is, in his mind, the superior being. That animal is to serve his needs and to get him where he needs to go. Theoretically, Balaam, he's the human and the smartest one of the two of them. Maybe. So when the seemingly stupid donkey, his carrier begins to take him off the path, his only instinct, as we have read here, his only instinct is to start beating this animal or kick it or do whatever is necessary to make this stupid animal understand the right journey and the right path that they should be on. So what do we do? What do you do when the thing that is carrying you does not carry you the way you want to be carried? Let me, let me take an, have an attempt here at explaining the application to that. This could be, this carrier could be your current employer. It could be a governmental structure. It could be your current pastor. It could be your spouse. It could be your kids. But take a moment with me this morning and internally identify two things. What is your journey and what or who is carrying you on that journey? That's important for you to know to make good application of this message. You have a destination in mind. And the donkey you're riding on will have to get you to that destination. Even though this donkey doesn't seem to necessarily know the right path, this donkey's GPS system doesn't seem to be working because it's, it's darting off this way and the reroute light comes on. 
So it's going to fall on you to be sure your donkey stays on the right path to get you to your destination. Scriptures and theologians will offer, often refer to, don- refer to donkeys as a beast of burden. In other words, they're just a beast. They're, they're not all that smart. They have but one purpose, and that's to carry stuff. So the donkey is identified as the beast of burden and honestly identified or assumedly a stupid beast. For the next few minutes, let's take a look at the three times that Balaam beats the donkey and notice every time that the donkey does something different. And then I'm gonna tell you exactly where I'm going with this. I believe that if you and I will look closely enough at this story, we'll see that, that when we identify the thing that is carrying us, we will also probably discover that our temptation is to kick it or to beat it or to try to get it to fall back in line with our strong-willed purpose and desires. I draw your attention first back to verse 23 where our text is Numbers 22 if you're following along in a, on uh, your, your own Bible. First verse 23, Balaam's donkey saw the angel, this is number one, saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And so here's what the donkey did. The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat it and turned it back onto the road. Here's point number one if you're taking notes, and if you're not taking notes, here's point number one for you to write down. (laughs) Don't kick what carries you when detours happen. Don't you love the pictures today? I'd love to tell you I did that myself, but no. It's best I could find. Don't kick what carries you when detours happen. We all know there's a path. Everyone sees the path. Everyone knows the path. But the issue is this. The donkey sees something that Balaam does not see. So the donkey veers off the path because the donkey has instincts of protection that kicked into gear the minute he saw the sword. He veers off the path and runs off into an open field. Oh, but Balaam knows this area. He knows the the path. He's been this way before, and he feels confident that he knows the journey, so he beats this donkey to get it back on track. I think if we're honest here today, the truth is for all of us, there are times in our lives when it just feels like things have gotten off the path. Is that true for anybody? Just nod your head. We know what worked for us last time. We know we've been this way before. We we, we know this path. We're confident that we are right in our judgment and we're we're sure in our assessment of, of how to get there. Young parents might say, oh, we had our first child and uh, everything worked out just fine. We figured out how to be good parents. Uh, we, we know what we're doing. Uh, we thought about writing a book about parenting. Um, we got an A in parenting with that first one and, uh, you know, we washed the pacifier every time it dropped on the floor. We were so good. Everything just worked out great. And then number two came along, OMG. Because we just knew everything would be the same. We just knew it. We tried all the same things. We did the same kind of discipline. We did everything we did with the first one, but somehow things have gotten off track. 
Don't say a word right now, not a word. Maybe your story is more like this. You know, I've worked for employers before, and everything worked for me uh, that first time, but somehow with this new job or this new boss, nothing seems to be working, and it feels like you've gone off the rails or you've gotten off the path. Or maybe it's this, your, your five-year financial plan has turned into a 10-year financial plan. Something has gone awry. Something that you had planned so well has gotten off the track. Well, it's, it's the same thing that you see with the Israelites. When, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they wanted to go on the coastal highway, which would have taken them right up the western side of Israel, right along the Mediterranean Sea. Beautiful. That's the way they wanted to go. But Scripture says that God knew that they were not ready for battle. So he took them a roundabout way. He took them off of their planned path because God knew something they didn't know. Imagine. He saw something they could not see. And here's what they didn't know, was that if they had stayed on the path they were on, it would have taken them straight into the Philistines, and they would have all been slaughtered. Time and time again, they had a plan to take a certain route, and time and time again, God blocked them from their most direct route, took them on a detour, and that detour took, was, was longer in distance and certainly took longer in time. And then God would ultimately tell them, oh, I have found the best pathway for you. It's the desert highway which was the one no one wanted to travel on because it was the most dangerous path. It was the one where snakes were and lions were. And dear ones, you and I have the same tendency they had, which is this. When it doesn't go the way we think it's supposed to go, when it doesn't go according to our plan and what we have laid out, we do what the Bible says they did over and over again. We grumble and we complain. Boy, that was a big amen to that. When they got thirsty... They grumbled and they complained. They complained to Moses. They, they kicked that donkey. Time and time again, God would redirect their path in a way that they did not plan and they did not see coming. And you know what? Here's what I can be sure of today. You have stories from your life where it felt like you had to take a detour. I have stories from my life where it certainly felt like I had to take a detour in October of 2010, my donkey went off the path. I was quietly expecting Pastor Des Evans was going to retire sometime in the next few months or years. And when that was going to happen, I had a great plan to move to Nashville to continue my music career. It was a great plan. I loved my plan. Nashville's nice. In fact, I'm headed there this afternoon after this service. But the donkey I was riding in October of 2010 just veered right off that path. And boy, did I ever kick it and beat it. You've never seen a beating like I gave that donkey. <laughs> but I want to say this. Had I stayed on my path, I would have not had the privilege and honor of being your pastor for the last 70, 11 years. <laughs> but it's true for all of us. There's an overwhelming temptation to kick that donkey and to kick what's carrying you. So point number one is don't kick what carries you when detours happen. Let's look at the second one. Verses 24 and 25. Then the angel of the Lord 
stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Can I just say, I can't promise you I wouldn't have done the same thing Balaam did if that thing was crushing my foot. And I, 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 forgive me, I just couldn't help this thought that came into my head. Maybe I better step out from behind the pulpit. This thought came into my head. I bet I know a certain music pastor that would beat a motor scooter today for crushing. <laughs> Can I get an amen this morning? So point number two, Brent, if you're taking notes. <laughs> Don't kick what carries you when crushing happens. Selah. Don't kick what carries you when crushing happens. If your life experience has been anything like mine, then you understand well what I mean when I say that there's times in your life it just feels like the vice grips of life are pressing in on you. It's, it's, um, it's painful, it's miserably uncomfortable. It, it feels like something's crushing you and you're at the end of your rope. You've done everything you know what to do. Uh, you've, you've cried all the tears. You, you've walked the floor in, in, in sleepless nights, but you just feel like you're, being, you're like you're being crushed. And the overwhelming temptation is to kick the carrier. And how is it that you are kicking the carrier? Well, you start by blaming any and everyone around you. You're going to blame your spouse when that crushing comes. You, you might blame your parents. Uh, you, you blame your kids. You blame your boss. And when all else fails, you blame your pastor when the crushing happens. And let me be a little more specific about how the kicking takes place and how it can manifest. This kind of kicking that I'm speaking of has almost nothing to do with your feet and everything to do with your mouth. That's the kind of kicking I'm talking about. We kick the carrier. We badmouth. We complain. We blame. Because, I mean, it certainly couldn't be my fault what's happening here. It's just happened to me, surely. Have you ever prayed for something and God gave it to you only to, to discover that it started crushing you? Has that ever happened to anybody here? You start saying, God, take it away. I, I, I just thought I wanted that job. I, I just I thought I wanted that promotion, but it's crushing me, and I did not know it would be like this. Surely life has a way of taking us through seasons that it just feels like we are being crushed. And as much as we don't like it, crushing is an important part of life. Boy, that's going to get a big amen right there, I know. Let me tell you this just to support that thought. When you hear anything about the Garden of Gethsemane, something you should always remember is this. Gethsemane, the word, literally means the place of crushing. That's what Gethsemane means. It's where Jesus prayed before he walked the Via Dolorosa. You know that. It's where Jesus was before he was crucified. It's where he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. It's where he said, Father, if it be your will, to let this cup pass from me. In other words, I would much rather not be crushed, but he endured the crushing. For it's in the crushing of olives that we receive the finest olive oil. It's in the crushing of grapes that the finest wine comes from. 
And most certainly, if you desire any position of leadership in the church or elsewhere, you need to know that crushing is a part of the process. Have you not heard it said, never follow a leader that doesn't have a limp? Never follow a leader that does not limp. Simply means that they've been through some stuff. You can identify and see in their person that they may not be limping physically, but it's, it's in their spirit. It's in them. They are limping because they've, they've been through some stuff and they, that has given them a level of understanding that others don't have. They've been crushed before. When Thomas came to Jesus with his doubts, saying, I won't believe it until I can feel the scars in his side and touch the nail prints in his hand. Jesus said, here, 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 Thomas, place your hand here. This is my crushing. Jacob went through a crushing when he wrestled with the angel and the angel reaches down and pops his hip out of socket. That was a crushing. Elijah laid down into a, a broom bush and prayed that he might die. He was crushed, but he wasn't finished. He would go on to call out the prophet Elisha. Those are just a few of the of the biblical examples of those who went through a crushing, but it ought to say to us, it should not come as a surprise to us when crushing comes to us as well. I'm simply saying to you today that when crushing comes to you, don't kick the carrier. Rather, believe that the thing carrying you sees something that you do not see. Somebody say amen to that today. Goodness gracious. I should probably dismiss now. I'm sure there's a much softer and more polite way of saying this. But I tried all the softer, polite ways, and it didn't seem to say the same thing. Only a fool believes that they alone have the full perspective on any given circumstance. Shall I say that again? Did it hurt too bad? Only a fool believes that they alone have the full perspective on any given circumstance, that they alone see everything that is there to see on any given matter. We all love to believe that we're right. We fight to be seen as the one who's right. We all love to believe that our judgment, our perspective is right. But all I can say is just keep living. Just keep living. And you'll eventually discover that you did not have it all. You did not have the full perspective. Any pastor, and I believe I speak the truth, any pastor on the staff who sits with me on Monday afternoons in our weekly meeting should tell you that I go around the room to learn the perspective of every staff member. Am I telling the truth? You wanna know why? because I know I don't have it all. I know I don't have the full perspective on everything. I'm sitting with talented, gifted people, men and women, who've got another vantage point, who see it another way, and I want to benefit from what they have to bring to the table. Sometimes I may not like it, sometimes I may not agree with it, but I, I, I am made better, and I have better ability to make decisions when I have the full perspective. Why? Because I know that I don't have the whole picture on any given situation, and sweetheart, neither do you. I value their opinion. 
The one who is truly submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ will say, Lord, I can see that I'm veering off the path that I thought I was on, but I'm going to trust you and not kick this stupid donkey that I want to kick. And believe that you know what you're doing and believe your word when it says that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. The third point is this. 20 verses 26 and 27. Then the angel of the Lord moved farther down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time, when the donkey saw the angel, it laid down under Balaam And in a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. Point number three, don't kick what carries you when progress stops. At least before, they were moving and getting somewhere. Might have veered off the path, might have gotten their foot crushed, but but at least they were moving forward and the scenery was changing. And now the donkey just drops right where he is and the progress stops with him. How many, of, how many in this room, like me, struggle with traffic? You know where liars go. Last week, Becky and I drove uh, our oldest granddaughter back to her parents in Wichita, Kansas, where they now live. I don't know the last time you drove up I-35 through Oklahoma City and other parts north. Lord, help us. But in that, what is supposed to be a simple six-hour drive to Wichita, there were at least four major slowdowns or complete stops, mostly due to construction. This is going to come as a big surprise to you. I don't do well with slowdowns and stops. It just doesn't work for me. I don't like it. I want to keep moving. How many of you are like me? You want to keep moving? I mean, even if it's a little bit, keep moving. It, 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 doesn't, it, doesn't life feel good when everything's going in a forward motion for you? You can almost feel the inertia and it, and it feels great, but then suddenly a curveball comes and it all feels like everything has come to a screeching halt. And the temptation is to start kicking something. And typically, you're kicking with your, with your mouth. Here comes the complaining. Here comes the blaming. Here comes the projecting onto others what you're really feeling about yourself. But don't kick the carrier when detours happen. Don't kick the carrier when crushing happens. Don't kick the carrier when you don't see progress happening. And now we come to the heart of this message. Verse 28. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. Now, let me pause right here to say, Scripture is clear to say that it's the Lord that allowed the donkey to speak. And here's what I think it's telling us this morning. Listen, listen, listen. If you are not careful, God will open the mouth of your situation and allow your situation to start talking back to you. Have you got that? I think we've got a slide for that. If you're not careful, God will open open the mouth of your situation and allow your situation to start talking back to you. Your frustrating situation might just turn around its neck and have words with you. Verse 28, then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak, and here's what the donkey said. What have I done to you that deserves you beating me three times, it asked Balaam. And Balaam said, you have made me look like a fool. (laughs) 
you know what? I think we just discovered the real reason he's been kicking and beating the donkey. I think this verse right here spills the beans. Because what we see is it was never about the donkey. It was never about the destination. It was never about any of those things. It was how people perceived Balaam. That's what it was about. He was more concerned about he was going, how he was going to appear to his servants, more concerned about how he was going to appear to the Moabite officials, and that this stupid animal, of which he's the owner, it's making a fool out of him. All along, it was an issue with Balaam. The problem was never the donkey. He was concerned about his appearance. It was an insecurity issue with him. And, and, and he had what most of us have, not all of us, most of us have a little bit of people pleaser in us, don't we? There's a little bit of people pleaser in most of us that wants to make sure that everyone around us sees us through the filtration system through which we want them to see us. Now let's be sure we get this picture clearly. This seemingly dumb animal, something that you know, I'm above, he's thinking, I'm higher than, he's thinking. I'm riding up here, you're riding down there. I have the bit in your mouth. I tell you where to go because I'm smarter than you are. I'm the owner and I'm in charge. Now, church, I have avoided through this whole message a certain word completely. But it may be time to remind you how the King James, King James Version refers to the donkey. You act like you know what I'm going to say. I'm sure I don't need to say it here this morning, right? The picture is, this is a stupid donkey that I'm above. And I cannot have a stupid donkey directing my path or directing my life. I mean, right? I mean, he's really just a dumb donkey. Can you please turn the live streaming off? But here's what else we must understand above everything else in this message. In this story, and in your life and mine, the donkey is being directed by something we don't see, but the donkey does. Verse 31, then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw what the donkey had seen all along. Balaam saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. There was something that Balaam could not see which required his eyes to be open. Let's understand this. When our circumstance starts turning around and talking to us, before we start kicking and beating stuff, our response really should be, Lord, open my eyes. Why don't we, as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Christ, why don't we have an immediate instinct to say, Lord, obviously there's something I don't see. I know I think I'm pretty smart, but I don't, I don't see. So would you open my eyes so that I can see what I currently cannot see? There is most likely something in the circumstance of your life today
that you simply cannot yet see. So our prayer, our request should be to the Lord, open my eyes. So when we get to this point of the story, we see that Balaam had come to the point of realization that the stupid donkey wasn't as stupid as he thought he was. We probably all have grown up with the assumption that donkeys are stupid, but just, for, just because you'll be really fascinated with this, there is an organization called the Donkey Sanctuary who in 2013 did this medical study on donkeys and discovered that donkeys have the same intellectual ability to learn and adapt with brain power and brain cells that are equal to dogs and dolphins. This medical study reached this conclusion. Comparisons with donkeys are often a means of insulting intelligence. The natural instinct of a donkey, which places great emphasis on self-preservation, may mean that it does not do what a person wants it to do. In these circumstances, it is often easier to label the donkey as stupid than to analyze the actuality of the factors involved in the situation. You know what? This describes every one of us in this room today. It's much easier to label as stupid and to kick it than it is to say, to humble yourself and say, Lord, open my eyes and let me see what I'm not seeing here. Lord, open my eyes. What are you trying to do in my life? Lord, open my eyes. What are you trying to teach me? It happened all through the journey of the Israelites. They grumbled and complained all the way through their journey to the promised land. And what we see in scripture is that the Lord's anger burned against them for this very thing, but they kept kicking what was carrying them. It's an Old Testament story that we've looked at today, but I want to quickly give you uh, New Testament confirmation because straight from the words of, of the Apostle Paul when he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he said this, and this is so important. Please hold steady, this is so important. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did when they died from snake bites. And don't grumble as some of them did. And then were destroyed by the angel of death. These may be the most important verse in the New Testament. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. In other words, this word was for you today. It's a warning to you how to behave and how to conduct yourself through these circumstances of life. Could you quietly stand where you are? And I'm just going to give you the final two verses of our text. Why did you beat your donkey those three times, the angel of the Lord demanded? Look, I, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Three times the donkey saw me, the Lord said, and shied away. Otherwise, I would have certainly killed you by now and spared the donkey. Church, as it turns out, the thing that you thought was stupid saved your life. Hear the word of the Lord. <laughs> 